0: Hey there, changemakers, and welcome to the Seeding Social Good podcast by Turnkey. I'm Katrina Van Haas, chair and founder of Turnkey, and this podcast is about figuring out what works to help us all do more good faster. In this episode, Stacey Merle and Dr. Otis Fulton, social psychologist, talk about successfully navigating a difficult conversation. So, why do important conversations so often go off the rails? Soon you'll know. Let's go. At
1: Turnkey, over the last couple of decades, uh, we realized something. In the course of our work helping with strategic planning, organizational plans, revenue plans, we rarely helped our clients with the one thing required to make any of that work. People needed help on how to talk with each other. So we went out and got ourselves a social psychologist to pair with our industry expertise. Well, full disclosure, our founder and CEO Katrina went out and found a social psychologist. She just so happened to marry him as well, but that's a, that's a conversation for a different day. Um, this presentation, however, is the result of that pairing and the aha moment we had over at Turnkey. No strategic plan is worth anything if you can't implement it, right? And while there are some tactical elements to strategic plan execution, there is one thing that is the river that runs through it all that is having really direct conversations, having difficult conversations. Today, we're gonna acquire some new tools to make those hard conversations go more productively, to be less anxiety producing, um, and to have better outcomes. And just like in soccer, we're going to teach you some things that you might think come easy or naturally, like kicking a soccer ball. But if you coach soccer, you know, doesn't come naturally, in fact, having hard conversations are 100% unnatural. Otis, can you tell us why?
2: You know, we often think about uh, our body being important in conversation in terms of body language. And, you know, our slide here says your body may not be your friend. You know, we think that we're communicating with our body as well as with words. And that's true. But that's not what we're going to talk about here today. Here we're talking about your body's influence on what comes out of your mouth. So, when an important conversation happens, your body gets involved in
1: some ways that can kind of be unfortunate. We have a few goals for our time together to lower the pressure you might feel in difficult conversations and in anticipating those conversations, uh, to give you the ability to state your position and really be heard without getting into an argument. Uh, We're going to help you identify for yourself and your conversational partner what the real goal is, and we're hoping to convince you to always seek the face-to-face conversation with anyone with whom you expect a hard conversation to happen. I know, guys, it's tempting to send that email, but it rarely works out well. So let's start here, right here. In a conversation that I am in with someone else, what can I control? That's right, just me. Because of that, today, we'll only talk about ourselves, the one thing we have control over. And it is most likely the thing that we can change that will make a difference. Otis, tell us what's happening in our bodies when we engage in these hard conversations.
2: We're all living with brains that evolve on the African savanna, not in a corporate conference room. But, you know, this is what we've got, so we've got to deal with it. And it turns out that thinking takes a lot of energy. Um, Thinking burns a lot of calories. And on the African savanna, where we evolved, food was scarce. So every calorie was important. So, you know, over the thousands and thousands of generations, humans evolved not to have to think much at all. Um, In 2011, the psychologist Daniel Kahneman published a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, In 2002, he'd won the Nobel Prize for the work Uh, That this book talks about. It's one of the five books that I always on psychology that I always recommend to people. Um, He called fast thinking type one thinking. Now, type one thinking happens quickly, automatically, uh, unconsciously. Um, When you get home from the grocery store and you realize you don't remember driving home, it's because you were using mostly type one thinking. Again, it's automatic, it's unconscious, it's not something that we have to focus on. Um, you know, type one thinking. Uh, these are what we call our, our gut feelings. You know, when you're when you're in a bad, difficult conversation, you get these sweaty palms. Um, sometimes, type one thinking makes us think that we're in love with people. Sometimes with good results. Sometimes with disastrous results. So, you know, it's all these unconscious processes, and and most of the thinking that that that's done during a day is type one thinking. Um, it's you know also the type of thinking that in, inspires this fight or flight response in, in the moment when we get in things like difficult conversations. Okay. <clears throat> type two thinking, uh, as Kahneman says, is something that we do when we're learning something new. It's unfamiliar. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing something that takes a lot of focus. Uh, it's driving in a neighborhood where you've never been. You're, you're, you're paying close attention to something. So type one thinking avoids what psychologists call a heavy cognitive load. The, this heavy cognitive load that burns a lot of calories. And again, because uh, calories were so precious on the African savanna, uh, this was very important. So type one thinking was, you know, see a lion run, it's automatic, it, it's fast, and it, it kept people alive over the generations since. So let's consider a typical important conversation. Now, something says some, but something you disagree with. And, you know, and the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. So your, your kidneys start to pump adrenaline into your bloodstream. Um, your brain then diverts blood from you know, non-essential stuff to high-priority tasks like hitting and running, again, on the African savanna. So you end up facing these challenging conversations with the same intellectual firepower available to a rhesus monkey. So let's call this monkey mode. Uh, your body's preparing to deal with an attacking lion, not your boss or colleague. So, you know, you're you're in the grips of type one thinking. So let's add one more factor. Uh, now you're under pressure. Uh, time pressure. Important conversations are frequently, you know, spontaneous. They come out of nowhere. Uh, so you're caught by surprise and you're forced to conduct some extraordinarily complex human interaction uh, in real time now. And it's just very, very challenging. So what we're going to do today is get us out of monkey mode, get us out of that type one thinking, and that requires some conscious action on our part, and, you know, it it requires getting us into this type two slower thinking, reflective thinking, you know, but you've got all this evolutionary pressure telling you not to think that way, your body wants you to act fast and survive by fight or flight, you know, it's pumping adrenaline into your system and so forth. But the situation now calls for thinking slow. And again, it's very, very difficult to do. So to get into thinking slow in this situation, the best thing to do is to take a deep breath and just take a moment to compose yourself before responding. And and that is also difficult to do. That's something you've got to really train yourself to do. But this allows you to step back and assess the situation objectively before you react emotionally, and it gives you the opportunity to think about the best way to respond calmly, instead of letting these emotional reactions take over. So to summarize, type one thinking is automatic, it's unconscious, and it's likely to get you into conversational danger zones. Type two thinking is slow, it has a high cognitive load, so it's harder to do, but the first step to derailing this type one thinking is to realize that it's happening to you. And that's what we're going to practice here first today.
1: Okay, so here's what we'll do. When we do this with clients on site, uh, they would be doing it with as this exercise with each other. We encourage you to practice what you're about to see uh, with a, a co-conversationalist, a partner conversationalist. Otis is going to try and trigger me into type 1 thinking. I will stay in the conversation until that triggering happens. Then I'll say, I'm in type 1, I'm triggered.
2: Hey Stacy, you know I'm I was looking over our plans last night. I'm I'm really concerned that we have some major projects in our plan our operational plan that, you know, they're they're stalled in the water, they're not moving forward. You know, what's up with that?
1: Well, I'm having, tell me, I think with, I I'm having
2: some
1: problems. I'm having some problems with some deadlines and getting folks to adhere to those deadlines.
2: So you're, you're having deadline problems? Is that what I'm hearing here?
1: All right, type one. I'm triggered
2: right now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take long, does it?
1: <laughs> Operations is in my soul. I'm triggered. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and,
2: and, and, and by the way, notice that I intentionally interrupted you, which is something that's very anxiety provoking in people.
1: Yeah. All right. So did you see it? Actually, probably not slipping into type one thinking uh, isn't always visible. My body might not show it on the outside. I'm still smiling, Uh, even though inside I am in full run from the lion mode. So that was our goal to feel that moment, to recognize it, to acknowledge it. Um, Accomplishing simply recognition of the moment is the actual victory. There is a large cognitive load associated with thinking about what you're thinking about while you're thinking it right so in that moment your body presents you a choice that choice has a name otis can you tell us what it is
2: that choice is called the fool's choice and the fool's choice is this it's this idea that we can only fight or fly and you know those are not the only two choices um uh, what you can do about it is structure the conversation to get away from either flying or fighting and into a third choice. You know, any conversation you're engaged in, it's not a zero sum game in which you're either the winner or the, or the loser. Um, but, you know, of course, again, because of evolution, your our bodies think this is the case and is aggressively offering you the fool's choice in any kind of a high stakes, emotionally charged situation. Um, you know, the, the fool's choice might, might, feel like this, you know, you either speak up and risk making the situation worse or stay silent and avoid conflict, but miss an opportunity to resolve the issue. And, you know, this is this is the false choice because it's entirely possible to have a conversation that's a candid and yet respectful and there are ways of having these types of conversations and for overcoming the fear and the anxiety that often prevent people from speaking up. Um, so if it's not the fool's choice, uh, what do you do? Um, the new option is is this: it's figuring out what do I, what do I really want. You know what's what's the higher goal of this interaction that I'm having with this person, and then you just you think, you start to reflect on that, and asking yourself this kind of a complex question. It short circuits the body's response uh, for f- flying, uh, flying or fighting, and you know, the work of this is that we're setting aside now what's happening to us in the moment, uh, which, you know, might include being rude to the other person just to get them to stop to win, uh, being sarcastic, uh, throwing out some BS statements. And we're instead focusing on what we're really after at the highest level in terms of this engagement with this person.
1: All right. So, We've talked about recognizing what our body is trying to get us to do, fight or fly. Otis shared uh, a way to derail your body's efforts to focus on a new question. How do I achieve the higher goal instead of trying to win the immediate conversation? Our goal in this exercise is to maintain discipline to your true goal, not the goal of winning the conversation, which is what your body wants we are going to reframe the issue into the higher level issue. You have to get high enough on the issue that there is no disagreement on the reframe. For example, if I am in a hard conversation where I wanna go on vacation, my higher level goal might be, we both do wanna go on vacation, right? So this is hard. Remember the cognitive load is high. Otis and I will demonstrate here. And again, we encourage you to find a co-conversationalist and practice this. All right, Otis.
2: Fun for me because I'm going to do a real one. I decided to do a real one. Okay.
1: So. All righty.
2: Um, you know what, <clears throat> Stacy? I feel like I'm being micromanaged a lot these days, and um, you know, and to make it worse, stuff comes out of the blue. Uh, with deadlines. And I never know what to expect. And it just shows up
1: and boom. And then all of a sudden, I don't have a life. Help me. So it would help if everyone was able and to see and manage their own workload. It would also help if deadlines came in with that expectation far ahead of the actual event date, the deadline date. That sounds like what you're saying. Am I Right.
2: Yes. Okay. That's
1: it. That's that's the reframe. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So now Otis is going to show you a little trick that can help you in this situation because doing this is hard. That's that high cognitive load while engaging in the actual conversation and thinking of the higher goal on which the two people can agree. Your brain may need a moment. I know mine often does. Otis, how can I buy some time for my brain?
2: The first thing you do is. And again, this is difficult to challenging to do. You really have to practice this. Just taking a moment and letting there be some stillness. It it takes moment because we're we're all accustomed to filling empty space. And there's there, there's a great power in just letting a moment be. Then you practice what psychologists call active listening. In active listening, you just restate what the other person said. It, It turns out that uh, this technique has some other benefits because it helps people feel heard, but for our purposes here, we're just buying a little time so we can reframe and control our fight or flight response. So let's do that same exercise again. Stacey, you know, I just feel like all the time my work is micromanaged and I feel like stuff comes out of the blue with these deadlines and it makes me feel like my life's out of control what can you do to help me?
1: All right. So Stacey's brain is saying, oh my, I've just gotten blindsided on a video call that I thought was about planning our company picnic. And suddenly I've got this very serious issue in front of me. I might lose Otis as an employee. I just need a second. So what you're saying is that you're getting too much feedback on your work, and not enough heads up about what's coming down the pike. The pike, as far as deadlines, is that right? Okay, so that bought me some time, a few seconds, while expanding on their thoughts. So it gives me time to reframe. Otis, can you answer? Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I guess that's that's pretty much right. So it would help if everyone was able to see and manage their own workloads, and they were able to give you deadlines in a timely fashion far ahead of when the deadline will actually happen. Am I right?
2: That would be a big deal for
1: me. Okay. So that's the reframe. With the active listening restatement to give my brain some breathing room to think. All right. So there are kinds of issues that you all may be facing. Communications in a large organization leave a lot of knowledge gaps. If we were of one mind, we'd be more effective. I don't have the information I need to succeed in my job. I want to succeed in alignment with the organization. I don't understand how my work relates to the strategic plan. I want to be sure I'm rowing hard in the right direction. I am not clear on what my role is. I want to increase my value by decreasing time spent figuring out what to do and for whom. I don't feel empowered to make a decision. I want to exercise autonomy in alignment with the organization's directions. Okay, while these are typical words you might hear inside your organization, you can't really prepare with having words at the ready for everything that could come up. There are just too many different scenarios or situations. You can only be prepared by having a method to deal with any situation. The method is to keep your body in check and to reframe to a higher goal using active listening to buy you some time.
2: Keep your body in check and focus on the higher goal. Uh, That's pretty broad. Uh, Okay, so if this were soccer, uh, we've just coached you to uh, put the white ball in that big net. Um, Again, this is broad because this is hard work. So let's think about why are we so reluctant to engage in difficult conversations? And it turns out that it comes down to the fear of being rejected. Uh, we're all influenced by what psychologists call the egocentric bias. We're so concerned with our anxiety about being judged negatively that we become oblivious to what the other person whom we're talking to is feeling. And you know, at the same time, the other person is being influenced by the egocentric bias on their on their part. So it's a difficult dance between the, the the two of you. It's hard to get out of yourself. The bottom line, again, it's all about getting out of your own head. So, do you feel anxious in conversations? Um, try to reframe it away from being a win lose situation. And that doesn't mean you have to agree with the other person. So. Now we'll share a few tools to use that will help to keep the temperature down.
1: So these are some words that could mean, I respect you, but I have my own point of view. Words like, interesting. I haven't had that exact experience. That is an interesting perspective. Tell me more. Possibly. Maybe. Sometimes. It is so hard not to agree or disagree, but you can do it using these words. I know you're reading these words and you're not feeling the need to respond. In the moment, you will want to respond, trust me. This requires discipline and practice. So let me show you. All right, Otis, you say something inflammatory and I will give you the words back.
2: Okay, good. Sure. Okay. Okay. Hey, Stacy. You know, I'm pretty sure that I see our VP of marketing drunk posting on Facebook every night. How about that? Interesting. You know, we're never going to succeed following our current strategic plan, Stacy.
1: That is an interesting perspective. Tell me more.
2: Hmm. You know, Stacy, everyone we work with just seems to be like, a, just like they're a jerk.
1: I haven't had that exact experience.
2: Uh, Hey, Stacey, I don't think our leadership is trustworthy.
1: Possibly. (laughs) Whew, that was hard. Even though I know it was an exercise, I wanted to agree and or disagree. Standing in the middle is really difficult, but the act of doing it is like pouring water onto a raging fire. It gives controversy and anger and dissension no fuel to burn. Let's give you another tool.
2: You know, turnkey, we have uh, this coworker who persistently asks questions and lets people talk. And the funny thing is everybody thinks she's this brilliant conversationalist uh, that that they come away from these conversations having no idea that she really didn't do much of the talking at all. So this next technique can help you remain focused on the larger goal the conversation and not winning it. And it's the key to making people think that you're a brilliant conversationalist. Uh, Not disagreeing doesn't mean that you do agree. And, you know, when somebody gives you a blanket statement that sounds like they they own the truth about something, ask them what they've experienced that makes them believe whatever this thing is. You know, dig down into their answer. Here's what happens when you do this. First thing is they feel heard. And this is really important. People who don't feel heard, they want to burn the place down. They want to kill the project. They want to trip up everybody else. Um, Feeling heard is really important. Um, You know, they can convey actual information and not just their own opinion. Um, So you might learn something really, really valuable that way. And the conversation will, will, will be advanced. So the desire to respond can be overwhelming because, you know, you want to be heard too. But for now, just take the back seat. Uh, This is the way that you can always kind of take the high road.
1: All right. So one caution. Have you considered doing XYZ? Is not a question. It's taking the stage instead of learning about them. People who want to help get to a solution will ask questions like this. Have you ever tried? Have you ever considered? What would happen if? Why don't you? Are these questions? No, they aren't. They are you saying what you believe in the form of a question. Your job here today is not to solve anything. It is to hear someone else fully. Your job is to hold space for someone else. Your job is to come away with no greater agreement, but with greater understanding and greater respect. The rest will follow. All right, if you master this one thing, from this session, people will definitely start calling you a brilliant conversationalist because you're asking and not telling. Otis, would you practice with me, please?
2: <sighs>
1: no one wants to hear my ideas. They must think I'm stupid.
2: Oh, Stacey, uh, have you felt this way before?
1: Actually, I have. In my previous job, in my nonprofit job, I felt like People didn't really want to hear what I had to say.
2: Um gosh, how long have you felt this way in your turnkey?
1: I would say probably since last fall.
2: Do you think that this is everybody or just is is it one or two people that you're thinking about in particular?
1: I really think actually it's probably one or two people that I'm I'm thinking about in particular.
2: Are, is there anything specific that you're, you know, problems that you're dealing with with these folks?
1: Yeah, there are some HR things. Um, there are some dissatisfaction. I think um, with what we have to offer them.
2: When you say what what you have to offer them, is is there something there that's a little bit more that maybe could be deeper than what what I'm understanding?
1: you know what, you're probably right. It's probably compensation, benefits, time off, that whole package.
2: So I just asked Stacy five questions. You know, five is, five is a good kind of rule of thumb number to try to get to. Um, first thing I think happened was Stacy felt heard. Um, I didn't agree or disagree um, that no one wants to hear my ideas. That was her, her first comment. And yet, you know, I, I let her kind of expand on her thoughts, uh, tell me a little bit about how she felt about it. And, and I learned something that I think could be valuable for her and for me going forward from this conversation. But importantly, I'd never agreed with her.
1: Okay. So effectively, this is what we've taught you today. To extend the soccer analogy, white ball, beware of your body the body's uninvited response and make sure you define your true goal. The big net, avoid the fool's choice. You don't have to choose. Offsides. So this time offsides might actually make sense. Affirm without agreeing and build knowledge with questions.
2: You know, winning conversations hurts people served by your mission because it hurts your organization. Uh, it hurts the relationships between you and your coworkers. This is this is just just the hard truth. But you know, if you practice these hard conversations, you you will get better at them. And I can tell you though, this takes time. There are no natural communicators. People who are good at this have practiced a lot and they practice thoughtfully. Um, and that's because we're we've evolved to either fight or fly um, to live as much as possible in monkey mode, as I call it. Uh, our DNA hasn't changed since we lived in these small groups in the African savannah. So we have to act in order to get beyond our instincts. And that takes intention and practice.
1: You guys heard the good doctor. This takes practice. You're going to have to shoot on goal and practice dribbling. You're likely to screw up some conversations, but you won't screw them up worse than if you weren't even trying to get better at it. Some of you may be frustrated that we did not coach you to resolve situations to fix the problem at hand. We did not. We are coaching you to get closer to a resolution through greater alignment of purpose, greater understanding, and greater respect. If you wanna explore this area for your organization or link it to a strategic planning conversation where so many hard conversations take place, just give us a holler.
0: Change starts with just one person, you. If today's episode got your gears turning, don't forget to share it with your network. And hey, why not drop us a review? Your review helps more people find us and spread the good. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Katrina signing off from Seeding Social Good Podcast by Turnkey. Stay inspired, keep making waves, and let's create a better world together.